Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, our last regular season All-22 review, a painful experience revisiting the tape of the Dolphins' collapse in the Week 18 loss to the Buffalo Bills. We'll take a look at the top five tapes, go over the offense and the defense and some snap counts, tell you where it went wrong, what worked, and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Once again, no big play breakdown. Don't feel like that's necessary here on a day where you don't have a lot of big plays. And so we'll just go ahead and kick it off with the top five tapes here. And we're going to start with Christian Wilkins, who is my number one tape in the finale. I mean, what more can you say about this guy? Our ability as a defense to win against the run from light boxes essentially runs through 94 and 92. The tackle that Christian made on the QB draw prior to the Deshaun Elliott pick was just a microcosm of the type of player that he is. He allows you in this Vic Fangio defense that has been pioneered by the guy that works here, Vic Fangio, and has been replicated by the entire National Football League as one of the primary coverages and structures there is in the NFL. And you can only do that when you have players like Christian Wilkins, like Zach Sealer, like David Long, and like a Deshaun Elliott as well, because you have to have guys that can play bigger than their stature inside and Wilkins is no slouch but my goodness his ability to get off blocks I mean in this you know the way he can fit against those with those light boxes against bigger beefier offensive linemen to shut down runners or in this case the quarterback they think they have a lane but then he gets off a block and makes the play and closes that lane down because they're viewing it as he's engaged in a block and there's no second level defender to come down to make the hit or make the tackle so they can squirt through that hole but he can do it by either coming off the block out the outside the leverage of where the block is but he can also get back over the top of that leverage which is where it really becomes impressive and that's the reason why he had those insane tackle stats in the previous system that relied upon basically every single snap being a two-gap defender on a down-by-down basis but now he gets those looks and he gets a lot more one-on-one rush opportunities and oh look he's paid that off with a career high nine sacks on the season so six pressures in the game a sack a forced fumble fumble recovery three stops an elite game from an elite player who I just think you have to find a way to keep this guy, and I trust that they will make that happen with Christian Wilkins in a breakout, breakout year and what was already a very good career. My second top tape, Devon Achan. Man, the way this guy moves, I, I cannot wait to see what his second season looks like. Hopefully no preseason injury this time that limits his early usage or his camp ability, but also just having a year of, of tape on tape. But coaching the staff you know, for them to des- to devise even more of a, you know, package or an, an offense maybe even around this guy. Because the way that he sees it with the speed and contact balance that he possesses is freaky rare, man. Sometimes I can't process his tracks live, but when you go back and slow it down on tape, he's usually like a step or two ahead. Like he presses certain angles or blocks or defenders in a way that sets them up for the move he's about to make. And if you're not coming downhill at the right track, you're going to miss him. Jordan Poyer learned that firsthand. If you're flat-footed, good luck with that. And that touchdown run, again, a good example. Like, he lulled him to sleep because he stretched it out and it looked like they were going to be 
kind of chasing the ball to the perimeter, but then he puts his foot in the ground and hits the gas and uh, is able to make the move off of that acceleration that, you know, Poyer looked like when in Madden, the player runs by the juke move that you put on him and it works successfully, and they kind of like turn back and run back the other direction. That's what Poyer looked like on that play. Turned him into a video game character. He had 44 yards after contact of his 60 total on the ground. That was 4.89 yards per rush just after contact. <laughs> He's a five yards per carry back after initial contact. Three missed tackles for us. He had three runs of 10-plus yards, two of 15-plus yards, and he averaged 6.7 yards per carry. Devon Achan, what a heck of a player he is. My third top tape is Rob Hunt. Man, we missed this dude. If you heard these podcasts on these Tuesdays, you know how I felt about the previous lineup and the absence of Rob Hunt with Connor Williams and what that meant as far as Rob Jones, who I think has played really well in his this stint of starting games for Rob Jones. But there was some deficiencies at the other guard position. I was happy to see they moved Rob Jones back over there because now all of a sudden, you know, I thought Liam Eikenberg played pretty well. Rob Hunt was my third top tape. I thought Rob Jones played a good game. But Rob Hunt is kind of the linchpin, the Jenga piece that keeps that all together. Just an ass kicker, man. Like, so many times guys are engaged and he goes and gets a stack of ribs or he comes off of a, you know, a stunt or a twist and picks up a rusher and puts him on his backside, puts guys in the dirt. He attaches in space, was superb picking up gains and games and passing off help. Just a very, very nice tape for Rob Hunt coming back. He also made the critical block that allowed A-Chan to put his foot in the ground and get north and south on that touchdown run. PFF said no pressures allowed for Rob Hunt, but who the hell knows because PFS numbers, I, I don't understand them anymore. Like they had no drops for Tyreek Hill. Tyreek had like three drops in the game. Uh, the fourth top tape is Deshaun Elliott. I just love his game. I, I, I think and hope he'll be back as well. So many crucial run fits where he's, you know, he's so tough working laterally, taking on blocks. And there was a play, remember the game against the Bengals in 2020 or 2021? You probably don't. It was the year that Joe it was his rookie year, so it would have been 2020. So Joe Burrow had gotten hurt, and they were a terrible football team. And the Dolphins were favored in that game to win, but the touchdown that was the first touchdown of the game was a Tyler Boyd, like 75 yard pass up the sideline on a screen pass. And we lost outside contain and went underneath a. Uh, underneath the rub or the, the block out there, and it was an easy like walk-in 75-yard touchdown. The way Elliott defends that perimeter, like he can be engaged on the tight end or the receiver or whoever it is out there on him, but he can still work wide and keep that outside shoulder free, which allows him to set the edge and turn the play back to the inside. But if the ball carrier bounces it wide, he can also play with that off arm and go make the play. His coverage is good. He's typically in the right spot. I think it's probably the, the weak spot of his game, but for the most part, he's typically in the right spots. I just think that he has, you know, he's a good, like, all-tool safety in this defense, and you saw it in this game. 23 yards allowed on five targets and 46 coverage snaps. He also had three stops on 11 total tackles, and those three stops, like, he doesn't spend a ton of time down in the box, but when he does, he's very impactful. My fifth top tape, I had two cornerbacks here, and I, I went back and forth, but I'm going with Jalen Ramsey, who would have been higher if not for the, the rep on the deep digs miss. Um, and no, we don't grade for results, rather process. So this is taking into account that he could have been beaten for, what was that, a 91-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs? Because that was a quarters look, <clears throat> excuse me, where he's got deep responsibility to that portion of the field, and we send an all-out blitz, and they had been throwing hot and checking the ball down, not checking the ball down, but throwing the ball to the hookups and the hots on those all-out blitz looks. And he tried to get cute and jump that, but it comes with a double move, which is a good call by the Bills offense and their play caller. And he got beat. But luckily, the rush impacted the throw enough to where it didn't matter 
uh, that Allen missed him by several yards. But besides that, it's it's this. The game plan from a coverage standpoint really hinged on A, Ramsey's freaky movement skills, B, his communication and leadership to get guys aligned, to make the calls and switches and get that stuff all communicated, and C, the fact that you can trust him to cover a guy like Stephon Diggs and really hold him in check for most of the game. I mean, most of Diggs' big plays came on Eli Apple. 45 coverage snaps, 40 yards allowed, uh, three for four passing, and my just missed. I mentioned Eli Apple. We'll talk about him here in a minute. He's on there. So is Jerome Baker. So is Zach Sealer. Offensive notes for this one. <clears throat> I actually have come around on that little fake give reverse flip play that we run that seems to be and stuck in the craw of some Dolphins fans because it does generate overplay, and you saw it on the second snap of the game. It produced a 16-yard run for Devon Achan, but we've ran it twice in a row, back-to-back plays so many times this season, and I will... I would bet money that every time you run it on the second rep, you've lost yardage, if not 75% of those runs. And why does it not work? Because the defense just saw it, and they, they, they're not going to fall step a second time in a row. So I don't understand that, but it happens. And we roll it out there, and it's explosive on the first play, and then we lose yards on the second play and get behind the chains. I will reserve judgment on this for this point. If it's all been a ploy to set some stuff up in the playoffs, Fine, that's great, because there are some really good inside zone or duo wrinkles that you could operate off of that look, but if you're not going to do that, then why the emphasis on that play so frequently, and especially in quick succession like that? Maybe we'll find out against Kansas City. And then two plays later, we get the exit motion slot vertical up the numbers to the field, the one we've hit a billion times this year for touchdowns, and the Bills make an adjustment to get a pick. And we don't see that and just throw right into it. It feels weakly like the opposition in these big games, the the lesser DCs and and defenses out there, you know, the Washington commanders of the world, the, I'll I'll put the New York Jets in there, um, the Carolina Panthers, the New York Giants, the the Denver Broncos back in September. Those teams don't handle the stuff well. The stuff that we do well, they don't handle. But the best teams find a way to make us go to our secondary and third option with how we want to play things. And there's just not an adjustment to the adjustment. Like, I expected that to be, like, McDaniel's coup de grace in the second half of the season was, here's all the stuff we did well. We'll have our bye week. We'll self-scout. We'll come up with a whole new, like, wrinkle off of the stuff that we love to do. And it just hasn't really happened yet. So it's it feels like kind of banging your head into the wall. And we'll see if it happens in the game on Saturday. We'll see if it takes the offseason next year. But that's kind of my biggest key, you know, heading into the offseason after the playoff run ends is how can they adjust to the adjustments the teams have made back to them. And then also, like, the jet sweeps, the end around, the double pass looks, that stuff has killed so many damn drives this year. It feels like more than anything else, you know, penalties, like turnovers, those negative plays – wipe you out of these promising drives that the HN non-pass it loses six the next drive after a third down conversion on third and 14 a jet sweep loses four and of course that repeated play on on drive one the flip double flip play to lose several yards it's just a little bit frustrating but man I, I thought the first half had some really good looks some good incorporation of pin pull in the blocking scheme that is a different look than the outside zone teams are used to which I think kind of caught the bills off guard a little bit we threw that deep curl to Tyreek off a of fake toss action that widened Teron Johnson, the conflict defender in that role. But then we just kind of kept going back to the well and got away from the running game and made critical errors. In fact, we'll go ahead and do the individuals now because, you know, watching the tape, I'm sure there's lots of, you know, hand-wringing about what this team is and going forward and 
I hate to break it to you guys, but if you want wholesale changes, you're just not going to get them. And this team's probably going to – it's probably going to be ran back in a lot of ways. And you're going to have the money to go ahead and retain most of these guys. I know a lot of you folks don't believe that, but there are definitely ways to maneuver, you know, your money around and get guys back that you need. And I, it's – I mean, that's part of the beauty of, of the job that Chris Greer and Brandon Shore have done is it really keeps them flexible in future years with their financials. And I think the idea of – bringing guys back can also make you kind of be a little bit short in free agency, which can allow you then maybe to pick up a comp pick or two if you lose a guy or two. Um, but ideally, I think you bring most guys back, you run it back with the continuity on both sides of the football, offensively and defensively, and you go into this thing in your third year of the offense with plans to make you know major adjustments akin to how the Niners found their offensive breakout in their third season under Kyle Shanahan. That's a future conversation, but just something I wanted to put on the books here. We're going to talk a lot this week about long-term output. Um, and then also just kind of some you know adjustment stuff and, and kind of some fan stuff I want to talk about with regards to my journey and where I, where I feel I'm at right now with uh, the way I, I view this team because it's been tough the last couple of weeks, but that's all down the road. Let's go ahead and take a break right there, come back on the other side, do Tua's notes, the rest of the offensive individuals, and then we'll also do defense on the third side as well as snap counts. All of that's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. All right, Tua, what do you say? Let's go ahead and talk about Tua's game. And real quick, I'll go back into the previous conversation. Guys, every time a player has a rough game or a rough series or a rough throw, you don't have to replace that player. You know, sample sizes need to play out, and we've seen a pretty good sample size of this quarterback and this offense being very effective. Now, if you have concerns about big moments late in the season against big-time teams, I understand that, but... You're not going to turn it over to a rookie who's going to give you, who's going to come onto the scene and all of a sudden be sharp in those areas. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And then unless you get Patrick Mahomes, which if you do, that's great. But you're going to gamble and, and trade up your entire class to hopefully hit a player like that. It's probably not going to happen. You have a top eight quarterback, I would say, right now in your grasp, and the fan base, at least from a social perspective, is talking about moving off that. Like it's just really, really. Really, really driving me crazy. If you want to draft a Cam Ward on day two or day three, that's, fi- that's fine with me. But ch- chill out, okay? Chill out. And that's with this being said. I thought Tua had a, a rough game. I mean, there were some good throws early on. The first half of that was really good, but the second half was really bad. So let's go ahead and start here. On the first interception, this is part of the really bad. Uh, there's a pretty clear difference on the perfect long shots that Tua throws, and we've had more success on that than anybody else. So I don't want to hear about these limitations, deep ball, all the stuff, yada, yada, whatever, man. Like, the results have been there. But the ones that come up short, and we saw the latter here, the one that came up short in this game, when he hitches and throws in rhythm, there is not a better deep ball thrower on the planet. And we've enjoyed the hell out of that this year, right? But when there's an extra hitch, the ball is usually a little bit behind or, you know, late to get out there. And that's true for most most quarterbacks. Now, I know he doesn't have the arm to, you know, get flat-footed and whip that thing on there with all wrist action 50 yards on the field the way Josh Allen can. I acknowledge that. There's a limitation there, and the club in the bag is not as good as it is for other guys. You don't have the 350-yard drive. That's, that's fine to acknowledge. And that's why I don't have my top three quarterbacks or top five quarterbacks for that matter. But you can still win football games and be very successful with his skill set because we've talked about it a lot of times in this podcast the skill set that he does have is more important than the other stuff that you get if you if you don't have the stuff that he has you can't win with the other stuff but you can win the way he has his skill set right so on that deep shot he didn't get enough juice into it because he kind of hitched and threw it from a not you know loaded up platform and 
you know, we've we've hit that look all year long. Hit it three times in two games against the Jets. Hit it versus Washington for two touchdowns. Hit touchdowns versus the Patriots versus the Eagles. Like you get it. They switched it. Johnson, the corner, the slot corner we talk about with the Bills all the time, is head up over Reek, but he fans out to the curl flat, and the half field safety squats to come down to take away like the crossers and the curls and the and the in cuts, and that's Tua's indicator. When he sees that safety squat, we're throwing deep to Tyreek because nobody can run with him on the planet, right? The go ball is a go, but Christian Ben from the perimeter gets vertical right away, and I doubt Tua saw that, so it turns into this cover three with a pre-snap cover one presentation and it got to a it fooled him and that little hitch takes you know that accounts for 10 yards that Tyreek covered from the time of that hitch and if you take away those 10 yards I think the ball is a long touchdown throw and catch if he catches the ball but either way it's a bad miss it's a turnover and it hurts even more because Durham Smythe was naked underneath on a chip release that could have been a pretty easy conversion there on third long but they bait and switched it and got exactly what they wanted the first half I thought too was playing well in terms of going away from what the Bills were trying to get him into aside from that first pick where he would move guys and did a good job of getting through his reads we'll note some of the awesome throws that got this team into the end zone on back-to-back 80-yard drives. Starting with a hookup throw to Braxton Berrios where they disguised cover three with two high and buzzed a pre-snap half-field safety down inside, but he doesn't jump the Braxton route because Tua held his eyes in the backside to keep that buzzing safety away from the collision on Berrios at the catch point. Get him leaning one way, throw the ball back the other way, back to Braxton, strong quarterback play to convert on third down. A third and 14 to Tyreek, where he again held the defense to other parts of the concept, then shoots an anticipation ball in between four Bills defenders. High degree of difficulty, hit it perfectly. It was run game the rest of the way, but then he gets the next drive going with some clever ball handling where he shows the ball like kind of to the rail and like separates the hands and he gets the defender off of his feet, gets over commitment to the outside and he squares his shoulders and throws a strike inside away from a hit to Durham Smythe. Like that was Alabama two on that rep. I thought two plays later he had, I thought his best play of the game. Talk about the importance. I talked about the importance of that third down and three at the two minute warning at the end of the first half, we get a switch release to the field and the bills don't switch it. So they, they run underneath the rub, but he gets into a good trail position underneath Cedric Wilson because and look, if this is Waddle, it's a it's a touchdown. But Cedric is a great blocker. He makes some tough catches, but he ain't running away from anybody. The illegal blindside block play on Ingold, that ball was perfect. It hit Cedric in the hands first. Now, Benford recovered and, and broke it up, but the cornerback is running the route for Cedric on that play. Like, he's right there. You could... I don't know, man, like top gear, you should be able to separate a little bit, right? Then on the next drive, it's third and nine, and they completely vacate the middle of the field with two high safeties, way out of the play, like outside the numbers, 20 yards down the field, and Cedric has the entire middle of the field, a three-way go, inside, outside, vertical, come, like he had the entire football field to work with, almost one-on-one playing against your brother in the backyard, and he just gets dominated up the entire route by Dane Jackson, pressed, rerouted, undercut the route before he made his move. It's just bad, bad football. And it happened from several guys on the offense all night long. But back to Tua, this throw that we did connect to Cedric Wilson on the corner route could not have been better. 30 yards, beautiful touch, falls right in the breadbasket on a third and three play. And at this point, I'm thinking, yeah, Tua came to play today. We're going to win this game because the quarterback's playing great. He finishes the drive with great location on a speed out for a touchdown, put it where only his guy could make a play, and Tyreek did finish it. But then halftime. 
First drive, three and out despite two completions. The next throw of real consequence didn't come till 50 seconds left in the third quarter, a 14-yard gain to Tyreek Hill. But the very next play was the one that I think changed the entire complexion of the game. After a Teron Armstead false start, we get overplay on a fake fly sweep, and Tyreek gets cover three with a middle-of-the-field safety who is pushed 20 yards off the football and chasing a different help zone on this particular throw. The corner that's playing on Tyreek in that third coverage, third field, deep third field coverage, uh, he's way behind the play in the dust, but the throw is low and behind. If he catches it in stride, there's a chance he goes. Either way, it's still a catch and at least 10 more yards running after the catch. At minimum, if he scoops it off the ground and the call is upheld, it's second and one instead of second and 15, but the ball skips up into Tyreek. It's a huge, huge miss and a throw that Tua just... He almost never misses those throws. But the last couple of weeks, he's missed a few of them. But then we make two throws on the penultimate drive. Both hit Tyreek in the hands and go incomplete. The second one on third and nine, the ball's in his lap beyond the sticks. It's a great anticipation throw. Kind of moves the pocket and reads, reads out the coverage and throws the ball right to where Tyreek is going to be in front of the defender. But Hyde punches it, and it comes out. Like, squeeze the football, man. But, of course, it was the final drive, the final throw that everybody will remember to me, the first INT and the second one and the miss of Tyreek on the inbreaker we just talked about before the punt return, those were the three mega negative plays on Tua's card. But we also seemed allergic to helping him out. Drops, inability to separate, can't make one guy miss in the open field. Just a bad night all around. Let's go ahead and do the pick and then get off this topic. But first, before that, actually, real quick, the first one, the first down before the pick, and this is something I think Tua needs to take from and apply to get better at in the offseason, he's reading a two-man route combo to the boundary, short side of the field, right? And he steps up into a clean pocket. Didn't have to do that. The pocket was good. It held. And he shoots it to Tyreek on the corner route between you know, the, the honey hole, the underneath cloud and the over-the-top half-field safety. But Braxton Berrios comes clean underneath on that little, the same route that Ty Johnson ran on the Jerome Baker stick short of the goal line at the end of the first half, like get five yards upfield and slant across the middle against off-zone coverage. And it's an easy 10 yards for a first down to move the chains and get you inside the scoring range at that point. And I bring it up because he's not gotten to that look on that play all year. It's weird because sometimes he's so elite at going front side to backside, but then other times, and it's usually pressure, he completely avoids it and just presses the ball into that spot. And the pressing, my gosh, it's happening all the time. It's, it's got to be a thing that you fix in the offseason. Like, I don't know if it's, you know, we did jujitsu this offseason. I don't know if it's like, you know, controlling your breathing and, and getting, you know, doing some, uh, why, why can't I think of meditation? Like, but man, we've got to calm down in these big moments. The ball on the corner route, too, was terrible because he actually was open. If he throws the ball to the white on the perimeter, Tyreek can probably plant the feet and make a catch falling out of bounds, but he leaves it too far inside. And frankly, it should have been picked off. So that was terrible. And then the pick, I mean, it's at some point you just have to learn to take off the gas a little bit because the throw on the pick just was not there. I, I do think that Claypool rounded his route way too much, but even then that ball needs to go into the stands. There's nothing there and it's only second down. You have two more downs to work with. That's really it. It would have been a fine throw with a better route and the safety not driving before the receiver broke on the football which happens because of eyes, right? And I, that's, that's, that's what happened. Like, Tua's eyes took that Taylor Rapp to the football. But we still had so much time. Like, uh, it's the same story for a lot of these games all year long. A lot of good, a few not so good, one, two really bad, and seemingly in the biggest spots. On 20-plus air yard throws, he was two for six for 47 yards with two interceptions. A lot of his picks have come down the field this year. 10-plus air yard throws, five for 13, 95 yards and two picks. 
it's just these these top defenses have found a way to take that stuff off the field for us. We have to find a way to adjust. It's there, and there's some fundamental things in your offense you can do to get there, but it just hasn't been there so far. Uh, he was blitzed only one time. He was 0 for 1. He was pressured on nine dropbacks. He went 4 for 9 with 49 yards, and both picks came when he was kept clean. Real quick, the eligibles. Tyreek, I'm getting tired of this, man. One of the best players in the world, a first ballot Hall of Famer. But what's the deal with the big what's the deal with the big game stuff? Every single one of them. Did he drop a touchdown on Buffalo? I, f- I forget. Am I misremembering that? I know he did against Philly. He had the game-changing fumble against the Chiefs, dropped a 92-yard touchdown against the Cowboys. The drop last week, two critical drops in this one. That's every week, man. Ugh. Julian Hill, I'm excited to see what his year two evolution looks like because he is a fantastic addition in the run game as a blocker. He has so many key blocks that he's a critical part of. But when you can take a guy like that and make him a threat in the passing game, that makes the offense exponentially more flexible and dangerous. We've seen that with Durham Smythe this year. I think Julian Hill can get that treatment again uh, in his second year. Speaking of players like that, Ingold and Smythe, more of the same. So impactful around the edge in the running game. Would like to see more of that. The Bills want no part of these dudes in the first half of the point of attack. Last note on the receivers, all the receivers besides Tyreek, the separation, or lack thereof, I should say, was jarring in this game. Like, I, now I know what Chargers fans are complaining about, you know, with Justin Herbert and whatnot, but, like, I mean, we saw it with two of his first couple of years as well. The money downs, we're getting pressed and taking an extra, you know, one, one and a half seconds just to get into the stem. Then we're slow out of the break because we haven't done anything with suddenness or, or, you know, explosiveness to force them to lean or force them to chase. Just got bullied by physicality from the snap to the top of the route. And this is big guys. Like, you know, like Cedric Wilson's not a small guy. Braxton is, I get that. But uh, Claypool, by the way, thanks for doing business, man. Like that route is terrible, terrible, terrible route. I mentioned Cedric earlier. Same story with Braxton Barrios. I love him for what he is, but the, I, I love the trust we have in the, run, in the return game. But And look, those guys get paid too, but you have to make a move on Dane Jackson in open space on that third down catch short of the sticks. You have to find a way to get the ball past the sticks, whether it's run the route past the sticks or make him miss. You have to do it. Like, Make a play. And also, it's fourth and inches. Go for it. Just go for it. I would have. On the offensive line, I thought they played pretty well. Uh, pass pro was connected all night long. They got surge in the running game. There were some plays where the Bills got more guys into the fit than we would have a design unblocked man who would come down and make the play, which has happened a lot this year. But the Bills just really disrupted us up front in the game back in October. That wasn't the case in this one. I thought all the guys played pretty well across the board. I thought Teron Armstead, if he didn't have all the penalties, would have had uh, himself a spot in the top five tapes because he was moving guys off the spot in the running game. Really good in pass pro. The flags keep him off the top five, but some really punishing one-on-one reps from him. Honestly, I don't think anybody had a bad night. I thought Rob Jones got it done. Liam was good. Austin, too. I thought the skill group was the group that let you down in this game, which is the linchpin for how this team is constructed. So that's tough when your top guys have let you down all year long, really, in these big games. So pressures allowed one for Teestead, one for Jones, three for Eichenberg, none for Hunt, and one for Austin Jackson. Last break right there. We'll come back on the other side and do defensive notes. That's next. Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Final segment here. Let's go ahead and get to the defense and get the hell out of here. So I thought there was a great mix in this game. They'd show man, switch to trap. They'd show pressure and back off. They would bring the blitz on some third downs, back off on others. There was some zero, including that 36-yard completion to Stephon Diggs, where I thought the football was good all around because Eli Apple was right there. But Allen and Diggs just made a great play, great throw and a catch. And, man, what a great job they did against the run in this game consistently shutting that thing down. The rush lane contain was fantastic. I mean, on the interception for Wilkins and Sealer to beat Allen to the sideline, it's pretty damn impressive, man. And real quick, I know we don't do special teams here on the podcast, beyond surface-level stuff, but, man, Cam Good was right 
in the hole on that hardy return where he would have made the stop if he didn't blow out his knee. At very least, makes him change directions. But, of course, when your knee gives out, you can't make that play. Like a microcosm of the season, right? Injuries lead to some tough spots, and this one played out real time. The worst part, by the way, about that tipped touchdown pass to Sherfield is that Eli Apple had undercut it and might have had it for a pick. But... <laughs> That's how the game goes, man. Uh, up front, Zach Sealer, 10 sacks is the most ever by a Dolphins defensive tackle. Think about how impressive that is with all the guys you've seen come through this uh, organization. Um, five pressures, two stops in the game. Van Ginkle, man, sucked to see him go down. The, the play on the second Allen interception, Diggs aligns in the backfield and looks like he wants to get a choice route on David Long as a little angle route, like a Texas route, because the Bills ran all four of their other eligibles outside the numbers, but Gink reroutes him, and reroutes the wrong road. He road-closed him. He shut that thing down. Like, go back the other way. He just does these little things every single week that are so impressive, in addition to all of his sack production and pressure production. Great year for Andrew Van Ginkle. Hopefully we get him back for the playoffs. We'll find out more about Coach McDaniel here on Mondays. I'm talking to you before he, uh, he does his press conference. He had three pressures in the game, did Van Ginkle. Ingram, the way he dents the edge as a run defender is so valuable. He can really reset the edge and allow the, the scraping backer or sometimes safety, like Brandon Jones, to fill and make that play. But you have to tip your cap to both he and Ogba because their workloads, given the injuries to Gink and Good, uh, and the Bills were smart to throw those wheel routes and coverage behind him, right? Because, like, we run these guys wide, these pass rushers. They ran us vertical in the, in the coverage game. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't rotate them out. Like, it was, it was tough to watch play out that way. But, you know, it's, there's, there's some weaknesses there. But the way he dents the edge in the running game, I think, is very impressive. Um, Ogba, man, like, he's a good player, but just, it's not the fit in the system here. Uh, Off-ball linebackers, it's such a treat to watch David Long, the way he pursues with speed. The blitzing has been effective. He was in the face on, that, on Allen, on the apple pick, as well as the miss to dig. So really good stuff from the pressure standpoint there for David Long. Five stops, two pressures from him. Uh, Jerome Baker had three stops and two pressures. I'm so impressed by his toughness. The big hit was obviously just fantastic down by the goal line, but I thought he played so well coming in under control, wrapping up and making sure tackles. And that was kind of the theme all night. I liked how their short stuff and hookup routes were constantly met by an immediate tackler. And I don't think it's all a coincidence how well connected we are back there with Jerome Baker being back in that communicator role. Just something he's done for so long now. Uh, in the secondary, I thought Javon was, uh, you know, a much smaller snap count, but I think they might have found something here with him going forward because he was on tight ends and the slot fit in the rundown in the box lot in this game. We've seen him play that single high middle field safety position, but I think this allows him to make more of an impact, even though he does both well. The thought of Ramsey, X, and Holland covering. That ain't too bad, man. 12 coverage snaps, no targets, and, all, and 16 of his 27 snaps were in the slot in this game. I thought Brandon Jones made that really bad play on the screen that led to a 50-yard run, but had a couple of splash plays behind the line of scrimmage. One pressure, three stops. He allowed 52 yards on 37 coverage snaps. And then how about Eli Apple, who I thought had his best game as a Miami Dolphin. And I thought the interception was a perfect example of why you continuously put Eli Apple in the lineup because he knows what this defense calls for and what to do on certain reps and looks. Like, he knows they have a all-out blitz called on this third down, and while Gabe Davis is taking way too long to square up and set the route up for the inbreaker, just takes too long, Apple squats and keys Josh Allen's eyes, and when they cr get crossed up, he capitalizes on it. I thought he was pretty good in both man match and zone looks where he was, you know, zone turn, keep your eyes on the quarterback type of stuff. He was in good position for most of the night. 12 targets out of his 46 coverage snap. That's where Ramsey's top five tape comes into play here because teams just don't try that guy. And PFS numbers were wonky on this one. There was two catches that they credited to him that I'm removing from that total because they just weren't on Eli Apple, but it was 56 yards allowed. Maybe I should stop doing the PFF thing, huh? Uh, <clears throat> Cater Kohu, uh, 
it's been a rough year for him, man. Looking back at the stop before the Apple pick, he did interfere with Dawson Knox there. And if you slow that thing down, man, if he plays the ball and not the man, he could have ran through that thing and picked it off and gone the other way because there was, like, Allen threw a floater out there and it kind of hung up in the air for a while. He also made a business decision on the Josh Allen thirteen or third and 13 scramble on that final drive, their, their final first down of that drive, which is kind of crappy because his whole thing last year that made us all fall in love with him was tenacity and grit, right? But I, I just don't think this defense has really clicked for him this year, like, and, and will it? You know, because I mentioned Holland is a slot defender, and was he more of a man cover guy? Like, I don't know. I'll, I'll go back and watch him specifically on tape this offseason and get a better feel for it. But I thought that he'd be a lot better than he has been this year. 31 coverage snaps, 28 yards. But, man, 603 coverage snaps this season, 721 yards allowed. Seven touchdowns, no picks, two PBUs, four penalties, and a 133.4 passer rating when teams target Cater Kohu. Snap counts from the game, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, offensive line went the distance, 52 snaps for those guys, as well as Tua at receiver. I mean, Cedric Wilson played 96% of the snaps. Tyreek, just 40 reps in the game at 77% of the workload. And then Berrios is next with 46%. Like if I told you in a, a must win situation, or I guess a critical game wasn't must win by the way, and ghost on Twitter, like one of my favorite people on Twitter must wins. Do you guys, the definition of must win is if you lose, you're done. Do we understand that? Okay. I think we, I think we should all understand that. In big games like this, if I told you back in August that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle would play 40 snaps combined and Cedric Wilson and Braxton Barrios would play 74, you'd say, oh, we are in trouble. Craycraft played nine, Claypool four, chosen two. At tight end, Smythe got his usual three-quarter workload, 75%. Julian Hill got 33% of the workload. Devon Achan, your leading snap getter at running back, he played 63% compared to Jeff Wilson's 48%. And then Alec Ingold got one third of the snaps. That's that goes back to the second half and the the you know the game situation, right? I mean, had so few reps in the second half that Ingold should have had probably double that. But you you can't get any first downs. You can't get the running game going. On defense, Apple played the entire game. He was the only one. Ramsey missed just two snaps. He played seventy six. And uh, let's see, Deshaun Elliott played seventy two reps after it looked like he might not play the game because he left in warmups early. That was. A weird situation. More defensive backs. Brandon Jones played 80% of the reps. Kohu, 65%. Javon Holland played just 35%. Needham got six snaps in the game. Elijah Campbell, three. And Cam Smith, two. The linebacker spot, David Long played 88% of the reps. Um, Baker played 53%. And Duke played 47%. But by the way, I talked about Van Ginkle earlier. He's out for the game on Saturday. So is Jerome Baker, who had to get wrist surgery. So the fun continues for the Miami Dolphins injuries. <sighs> uh, off the edge. Let's see. Ingram led the way. <laughs> I mean, you're playing a guy that just signed here three weeks ago as your primary you know, outside linebacker. 74% of the snaps. Ogba, 60%. And then it was you know, all the guys that you're uh, – Van Ginkle, 37% before he got hurt. Good, 15% before he gets hurt. And then you're playing you know, the guys up front, the, the beefy boys. Christian Wilkins, 91%. Zach Sealer, 87%. Uh, what did Raekwon play? It's 46%. Deshaun Han also played 14 snaps in the game. So, yeah, man, you're you're pretty deep into it. I think a focus on the podcast this offseason is going to be more about the depth of the team because clearly it's very, very important, and the depth has been good this year, but when you have 15 injured starters, it's kind of tough to overcome all that. So, yeah, man, uh, not fun. Not fun right now. Let's get out of here. Um, subscribe, rate, review. 
Go ahead and follow on social if you are so inclined, at Wingfield NFL. Go ahead and check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guys, Seth and OJ. They do a great job every single Tuesday. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy, he's coming.